Thank you for listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. I almost forgot to bring my English Bible. I figured you'd prefer me to preach in English, not in Spanish, so I did bring it that last moment. If you'll open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Galatians 4, verse 19. And this will be our text. And the title of this message is The Ultimate Goal of Discipleship. The Ultimate Goal of Discipleship. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for this passage that is precious. It is precious to me, it is precious to you, it is precious to Paul, it was precious to him when he wrote this. It is a central text as to thinking about discipleship and thinking about various components of it. We won't look at everything about discipleship, but we will look at some things that this verse teaches us about discipleship. We pray that the Spirit of God would take your word and do your work for the edification of your people and the salvation of the lost and the expansion of your kingdom for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Warren Wearsby illustrates this verse as he states the following, we parents never seem to outgrow our children. When they are little, they are a handful. When they are grown, they are a heartful. I remember hearing my mother say, when they're little, they step on your toes, but when they are grown, they step on your heart. This is what Paul was experiencing as he tried to help the Galatian believers with their confused spiritual lives. And as we look at this particular passage, it fits in a greater context of the book. We see that Apostle, the Apostle Paul was writing with a certain tone. There is warning, there is outrage in his first words that he writes at the beginning of the book of Galatians. False teachers were persuading the new believers that had been converted under the ministry of Paul to abandon the gospel of grace. If you look at how the book is divided, the first two chapters, Paul defends the authority and the origin of the gospel. In chapters three and four, Paul is going to explain the very essence of the message of the gospel, faith alone in Christ alone. And in chapters five and six in the book of Galatians, we'll see the implications of the gospel. So we find ourselves today in the middle section of the book where Paul is explaining and defending the very essence of the gospel. And he's trying to expose and warn the Galatians of the false teaching and the false teachers that is leading them astray from the truth. And what we'll see in this text is that Paul has a genuine passion and a goal for the spiritual welfare of the Galatians. I'd like us to look at four things that this passage teaches us 
about discipleship, and we'll look at some of the details of this verse. Number one, discipleship involves spiritual parenting. Discipleship involves spiritual parenting. So the NASB text begins, my children. Some versions like the ESV will translate my little children. The word is just one word in the original Greek text. The word children or little children is the way that this word typically translates, but not always. Sometimes this word is simply an expression of affection with no reference to a child. There's times in the New Testament the same word is translated. It has no reference whatsoever to a child or to children. But here it's probably the best translation given context, children. And so I'd like to make some observations just on that initial word, little children, children. First of all, Paul uses this word in other places that helps us understand what he means exactly by this. For example, he uses it to speak of his true children, sons of the faith, uh, Timothy and Titus. In both cases, Paul uses the word and the concept to describe the instrumental and essential relationship that he had in the development towards maturity in the lives of these men. With Timothy, it's debated as to who actually led Timothy to Christ. So if you read commentaries, some will insist it was Paul, others will insist, no, he was already a believer when he came to Paul. Because we know from 2 Timothy 3 that Timothy was influenced by the scriptures from his youth through his grandmother and through his mother. And when we see the first time that Timothy is mentioned on Paul's second missionary journey, there's already a reputation of his testimony. So he was already converted by the time Paul sees him or interacts with him on his second missionary journey. But it's possible that his first missionary journey, Paul would have preached to a larger audience and Timothy would have been there and he would have been converted. And the point of looking at all this is we're trying to understand what does Paul mean when he describes Timothy as his son? Does he mean, my son, I led you to Christ? Does he mean, this is the person I developed towards maturity? We're not sure, but what we do know, regardless of when Timothy was converted or with whom he was converted, we know that Paul, when he uses the term son with Timothy and with Titus, he's describing the responsibility, the care, the intimacy, the essential influence Paul had in Timothy's development and his growth. In fact, we'll see a passage in Philippians where he describes some of this reality. Chapter 2, verse 22, but you know of his proven worth, speaking of Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That was the relationship that Paul had, and that's why he chose to use this term. In the case of the passage we're looking at today, we do know that Paul was the one who brought the gospel to the Galatians and that they were converted through Paul's preaching. They were his children since conversion. Moreover, Paul goes on to describe in the same passage, for whom again I suffer the pains of childbirth. Again, here we are at it again. That is, Paul had already experienced labor pains with them in their conversion. The second thing I want us to observe about this first word, not only how it's used in other places, but that God has designed 
that the growth of other Christians, your spiritual growth is meant to happen through his word, through God's word. That is how we grow. We grow through the truth of God's word. And we grow specifically through God's word preached. That's why Sundays are so important because our faith grows as we hear God's word. But also as God's word not only is preached but as God's word is modeled. Just as in a home we as parents are called to teach the scriptures continually to our kids. We also teach them through modeling during our daily living. Even modeling how we confess our sins to them when we fail, to our spouses when we fail. In the same way, we have the privilege as believers to invest our lives and other people's lives by teaching and modeling as a father or a mother mother would do with his or her own children. And we should view discipleship in the same manner. The same devotion, love, care, intimacy, teaching that parents should have towards their children is the way we should view how we are to disciple others. The third thing we can observe from this word children is that Paul felt the weight, the burden of the spiritual well-being of all the believers in the churches in Galatia. For the whole body, for those who are called to pastor, we are called to imitate the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of Paul to invest our lives to prioritize a few that are faithful and to teach them, like Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, to entrust these things that you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. And as pastors, that has to be one of our priorities that we invest in a small group. But it's also true that we must be concerned about the health of all the members of a local body that God has placed under our care. We are to be concerned about the faithful members and the difficult members. But if you're not a pastor, you also have a responsibility that goes beyond discipling the few. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 exhorts us. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice that that command is given to the church. It's given to you. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the leaders. It's anyone who is following Christ that is a brother, that is a sister. This is a command for all of us that there is a corporate care, there is a pastoral care that every member is somehow involved. There is a mutual concern that must exist in the local church And that is why discipleship is not meant to be done, divorced from the context of the local church. Our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ is personal, but it's neither private nor is it individual. There is a corporate element to our faith, both personal and corporate. The idea of a personal relationship with Jesus divorced from my relationship with his body is a foreign concept to the New Testament. In the same way, there's not this idea, it is also foreign in the New Testament, the idea that someone professes faith and then that faith has no connection to a local body. 
If someone has made a profession of faith, a decision for Christ, that does not mean anything if there's no corporate evidences of that faith afterwards. First John tells us that the one who says he loves God but does not love his brother is a liar. So the local church is the place where the genuine fruits of that faith are manifested or not. There's another example we have in the New Testament of how our care should be toward the whole church. And that is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. It says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Notice again that the command is given to all believers, every single believer is to feel the weight of that command. And that those believers had in their congregation brothers who were undisciplined, others who were discouraged, and others who were weak. But what does all of this have to do with our text today? Our first point is that discipleship involves spiritual parenting, and that such parenting is described with the word children or little children. Paul feels the burden for all the believers of Galatia as a father feels for his children. God matures us both through the preaching of his word, but also through the modeling of his word through spiritual parents. And we are to be involved in that process. Our conversion and our growth is designed to occur through these means in the context of the local church. The second thing we want to look at in this passage, number two, is that discipleship involves personal stewardship. So the, the word we want to look at is the word my. What does Paul mean by my little children, my children? Anytime we interpret the Bible, we need to interpret it within its immediate context, within the context of a book, and within the context of the whole Bible. So let me say what Paul is not saying in light of the rest of the New Testament. He's not saying that somehow the people that we disciple, that they are ours, that we have some kind of possessive spirit over them. The sheep are not ours, but the Lord's. He bought them with his precious blood. They are his. So we are to beware of a sinful attitude of those we serve in discipleship. When we get involved in discipling other people, we're not looking for them to admire us. We are looking for them to admire Christ. That is who we point to. Also in discipleship, we're not looking for people to be exactly like us. Even though the scripture does tell us, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's quite a statement. But we are called to do that. We are called to progressively, imperfectly, grow in our walk with Christ so that we can say to others, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But that doesn't mean that we are wanting people to imitate everything about us. The fact is people will imitate us in discipleship, our virtues as well as our flaws. Some of that is inevitable. But that is why it's so important that we understand discipleship in the context of the local church. We won't be the only ones teaching this person. We won't be the only ones imparting truth into their lives. That's where the balance will be in your discipleship. And lastly, we're not to use discipleship for our own benefit, for our own status, that we feel more important because we're discipling this person. We seek what is best for them and not necessarily what is best for us. So if Paul is not saying that the sheep are ours, he's not saying that they should be exactly like him and that discipleship is not seeking that which is 
for one's own benefit. What is Paul saying when he says, my children? And here's the point that I believe Paul is trying to say in this letter to the Galatians and the Holy Spirit to us today. That both Paul and each of us have a personal stewardship and discipleship. That we should feel a personal burden for the spiritual condition of the people to whom we are seeking to disciple. The people that we are seeking to teach God's word, even in this body. There's a real sense of responsibility that must weigh deeply on us in discipleship. If you're a pastor, Hebrews 13, 17, as a pastor elder, makes a solemn uh, admonishment to us. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. There it is, those who will give an account. We must watch over the souls of the people God has placed under our care as pastor elders. We teach them the whole counsel of God. We model the Christian life before them. We counsel more privately when the situation requires it. We correct, we love, we spend time with them. We seek to know them and where they are at in their walk with the Lord. We rebuke, we pray before, during, and after our efforts. And of course, we do this when we know to whom we are accountable. And that is why it is clear that we need to know who the members are of a church, and that's the importance of membership. We're not responsible for all the people who attend on a given Sunday, though we care about them, but we are responsible for those who have committed themselves to our local body and who have placed themselves under the care of the pastors of the church. I will have a particular responsibility starting today for this new body and those who become members, just as the pastors of this church have a particular responsibility over the members of this church. But the job of caring for souls is not only for pastors, but for all members of the body who must also do their part in discipling others. When there is a culture of discipleship in a local church, it makes the job of the pastors much easier because it is the privilege and the responsibility of every believer to reproduce himself in the life of another. So let me ask you some application questions this morning. Do you see your responsibility to be discipled and to disciple others under the context and the care of the local church? Who are you discipling? Do you seek to learn from people who are a few steps ahead in their growth? The format can be as simple as getting together with one or two Christians with a good book that emphasizes biblical truths that contribute to the growth and discuss that book and pray together. Discipleship, my dear brothers and sisters, takes enormous effort and this brings me to my third point, number three. Discipleship, though it can be very simple in its format, involves a great effort. We said that the title of this passage or of this message is the ultimate goal of discipleship. We must have a passion for discipleship. And this implies, number one, spiritual parenting. It's not simply a program, not simply a material, though these have their place and are important. Number two, it involves personal stewardship. It's something we make our own. And number three, it involves a lot of effort if we understand it biblically. It's not something passive. It's not something that just happens automatically. Yes, we believe that God is the one who produces growth. God is the one who changes hearts. No one can change the human heart 
apart from the Spirit of God through His Word, through the Gospel, but He does it through the means that He Himself has appointed. So look at the verse again with me. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul describes an image that implies pain, effort. In fact, when a mother enters the stage, we call it labor. The word birth pangs translate from a single Greek word. One Greek dictionary translates this word to have labor pains, to suffer terribly. And if you're a mom that's been through this, you can understand this much better than I can. In the case of the context in Galatians, Paul is suffering terribly for them because they're being deceived and led astray from the gospel by false teachers. Paul literally fears that his efforts have been in vain. We see some of this effort for the cause of the gospel and the growth of his people through the gospel. In the letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship. How working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So the reason, the motivation for their work and their fatigue was their love for them. And if you're a mom or a dad, you know that being parents implies an enormous effort. There is great joy in being a mom and being a dad, and there is great suffering in being a mom and a dad. My brothers, in our call to disciple others, let us remember this. Discipleship involves great effort. It involves praying for them on a regular basis, spending time with them, loving them, serving them, correcting them, opening our homes and our hearts. But all this effort has a precious goal. And this brings me to my last point, number four. The goal of discipleship is for the person of Jesus Christ to be formed in others. That's what we're after. And we need to remember that. The Greek word that translates formed in this verse is a word that means to cause something to have a certain form or nature. This is the goal in the Christian life. This has to be your primary goal of all your aspirations, the highest aspirations we are to have as believers is we are to be Christ-like. My primary goal in my own life cannot and should not simply be to be a better preacher or a better pastor or even to be a better husband or father. The supreme goal of every Christian's life is to be more like Jesus. The most important goal of every Christian is that the life of Christ be reproduced in his own life, in her own life, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the goal of discipleship in the lives of others is not simply that they have more knowledge, that they have certain positions or serve certain ways or have certain skills, that they do a certain program or a course or seminary. And I'm not saying that all those things aren't important, but I'm saying that it's not the ultimate primary supreme goal. All those things may be necessary to get to that goal, but we must always keep in mind what the ultimate goal of discipleship is, and that is to see the person of the crucified and risen Savior formed in the lives of others. That's what we're after in discipleship.
The person of Jesus as revealed in scriptures is whom we are seeking to form in others and we're part of that in discipleship. All of our efforts should be aimed at this. All of our spiritual parenting is to bring them to Christian maturity as defined in the Bible. And so as you are walking closer to the Lord each day, you are called to then help another person progress in their spiritual walk. All the particular responsibility the Lord gives us over other lives is to bring them to maturity through the means that he himself has appointed. The public and the private ministry of the word of God is for this. Private and public prayer is for this. So let me close with some application questions. Do you care about the spiritual welfare of others in your local church? This is one of the ways the Lord helps us in our selfishness is as we focus on serving others, as we focus on reproducing the life of Christ and the life of others, you may say, well, I've got all these problems in my own life I can't be thinking about. Well, this is what the Lord has called us to do, and it's one of the ways he helps us to keep our eyes on him and on others is that we are to seek to invest and care about the spiritual well-being of others. Do you have a passion to disciple others? John said, there is no greater joy than to know that his children walk in the truth. There is no greater joy than that. And Paul is going to say it in 1 Thessalonians, for now we really live. If you stand firm in the Lord, for what can we render to God for you in return, for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face, and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Are you committed to ask the Lord, Lord, please allow me to have spiritual children? I'm not just describing evangelism, that's part of it, but here Paul is focusing on our maturity as believers and helping other believers in their maturity, which will lead to a lot of things, including evangelism. Are you pursuing this? Are you striving in God's grace to make disciples starting in your own home? Are you discipling in connection with and under the supervision of your local church according to the New Testament pattern? May the Lord give us his passion to do this, to invest our lives in others, to make disciples. May the Lord help us to be instruments in his hands for Christ. What a joy to get to be used by God in all of our imperfection and all of our struggles that God wants to use you to invest in the life of others. And if you're at a point where you feel like you're not ready, then I would challenge you and urge you to seek people to invest in you so that you can reproduce in others. There is no greater goal than to give our lives to this. Let us pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this sweet passage. I pray that you would help us to give ourselves to this cause. In Jesus' name, amen.